Beautiful family, and they sing too. Amen. Amen. Except for the preacher, I don't know how beautiful he is. But <laughs> love you, preacher. <laughs> I always say I haven't been in prison that long that I think a man is beautiful. Amen. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a good-looking man. I told a couple boys that yesterday. I don't know if they knew what I was talking about, but some of you do. been in there 20 years and still haven't seen that <laughs> anyway <laughs> what a beautiful song praise the Lord it stirred my heart praise the Lord for the work there in Mexico as well that was a, what a blessing praise the Lord for that it's been such a blessing to be here already we've only been here two days and it's just been overwhelming and uh, 
I know I can safely speak for all the other missionaries that are here, but y'all have been so, so overwhelmingly good to us. Uh, the provisions, last night, the offering, um, the food, the, just the fellowship, it's been a real blessing. And so thank you. And again, I'm, I'm sure the other missionaries feel the same way. We praise the Lord. I do want to say this. I don't want to embarrass anybody, so I won't say names, but I actually, I put one little, one little, little of the little cards I got uh, yesterday and it said something to this effect. It said, I don't, I only have little money because I'm just a kid. I think someone said yesterday, little is much. What a huge blessing. That just blessed me. One little, one little girl came up and put a dime. And I couldn't, I'm sure that she probably did that for all the missionaries. I don't know, but what a blessing. They just, y'all blessed my heart yesterday. And uh, I thank the Lord for that. I pray that God, that God just blesses you all for that. It's just been a blessing. So my wife and I appreciate that. But anyway, it's a blessing to be here. And uh, so my heart is literally in my throat tonight. And you say, Brother Lance, I thought you'd been preaching 20-something years. Well, I have been. If I ever stop getting nervous, I will stop preaching. I don't want it to be me. Um, I, don't, I, I think the Lord wants to do something tonight, and I don't want to be in the way. That's probably one reason my... Uh, my heart is in my throat. I have. I told preacher. I, said, I have a lot of messages. That I really, man, I want to preach this message, man. That would. That man. That would be. That'd be a great message for missions conference. And the Lord keeps saying no, no, no. And He's always telling me what to do. And so I've. I learned a long time ago. I've tried doing that before, where you just preach in your own strength, and you're like, well, this is a good sermon, and I have fun, but God's not there, and it just turns out being a club meeting, like I talked about yesterday. That's no. That's no good. We need the Lord to show up tonight. And, uh, when, you know, a lot of times I'll go, I'll preach lots of revivals I've preached. So I, I, don't, I don't, not only do the pastoral work inside the prison, as much as you can plant a church, that's what we're doing there at the military prison. But it can never, it can never organize, it can never charter. Uh, but uh, I do a lot of evangelistic work too. And so I'll go and I'll preach somewhere. And sometimes we'll go preach at the uh, prison at like Fort Leavenworth. We're going there next month, praise the Lord. And um, I'll tell the guys, mostly it's men that are there. I'll tell them, listen, I don't have revival in my pocket. It's got to start in your heart. And uh, it was the same thing tonight. I, I can't come up here and, and bring you something that's just going to make it happen. Uh, the only one that can make it happen is the Lord. And that all we can do is look to him tonight. So that's all I know to do is, uh, I don't know anything but Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 5, amen. He's the only message I have. I only have one sermon, and it's all Jesus uh, so that's what we're going to preach tonight, amen. I want you to take your Bibles, if you will. It's not a missions text. I don't think that you, well, I, well, I, I, see, I can't even talk. That's how nervous I am tonight. I don't know why, I'm telling you. <clears throat> Romans 12 is where we'll be. I said it's not a missions text, but uh, I correct myself because there's only one mission. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> So it's all a missions text, so it, it, there's only one mission, and uh, once you find your place, you know, if, if you heard me teach Sunday school Sunday, you know how quiet I am, so, so you won't fall asleep, let's everybody stand, if you can easily stand, if you can't stand, that's fine, but those that can easily stand, uh, would you do so for the reading of God's word, just going to read a couple verses and I'll let you be seated, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't know if you've ever prayed that before. If you've ever asked the Lord what his will is. But uh, I've spent much of my life, I still ask the Lord often, what, Lord, what do you have? What, what's going on? And so tonight, with the Lord's help, that's what I want to preach to you on, is the perfect will of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Lord, I just thank you for your goodness and grace. I thank you for West Valley Baptist Church. Lord, the, the heritage, the legacy, the spiritual uh, legacy and heritage that's here is just rich. Lord, I... I I thank you for this church. I thank you for their outreach. I thank you for Pastor Pyle and Lord, his dear family. Lord, what a tremendous message and song we just heard. And we thank you that you are the remedy. Lord, you are the only cure. Lord, for our terrible problem, Lord, we are our biggest problem. We need you desperately. And Lord, tonight we ask you to come. We ask you to fill the auditorium. We ask you to fill our hearts, our minds. Lord, I pray that each and every one would take these next few minutes and lay the things aside that, uh, Lord, are on our minds. Lord, that we would focus completely and wholeheartedly upon your word. Lord, speak to us. Challenge us. Lord, we need to hear from you tonight. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll let you be seated. Thank you for standing. So I remember why, you know, when I was a, a young man and I remember feeling like God was going to do something in my life and I remember going to another young man, and I, I'm not, I, I, there are people in this room actually who know who this is, and I, so I won't say his name, but I went to him, and I, I remember asking him, how do you know God's will? He had surrendered to the ministry, and he'd gone into the ministry, and I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, I, I feel this way, and I think so, and I, I'm pretty sure, and you know, I, I, the desire's there, and, and, you know, and we see ministry presentations like Brother Ortiz, and you're like, man, Wow, I have a burden there. Praise the Lord, but a burden doesn't necessitate a call. We've all heard those things, and so we, we think of things. Well, how do we know that's God's will? What's, what's God's will for me? I mean, how do I know what I'm supposed to do? And I, I love seeing the young people right here in the front. You know, I, mean, I remember when I was young. What, what does God have for me? How do I know God's will? Well, I still don't really, I don't know if I could give you an answer for that other than just reading the Word of God to you. I can tell you this, that God's perfect will is for you to be exactly where you are right now. Amen. By the way, and I've heard lots of preaching, and I don't know, hopefully the preacher doesn't disagree with me. I've heard lots of different texts and different preachers saying, well, you know, God has a permissive will and he has this will. You know what? God's will is, always has been, and will never ever be anything but perfect. Thank God there is grace. And if we are not in his will and we are outside of his will, thank God his grace allows us to be back in his will. And his, there's grace there, but God's will is always perfect. His word is perfect. There is nothing but perfection there. And I know what they mean, and I don't mean to be arguing semantics. And some people, you know, I understand that God allows us to do a lot of dumb things. Maybe you're not like me, but I've done a lot of dumb things. I'm just hoping I'm not the only one. So... <laughs> God allows us in his grace and his salvation and his, his wisdom and his will is still there. And he can still redeem. He can still reconcile. He can still reach the lost. I just thank the Lord for that. I, I just praise the Lord. I was 
th- man, I was thinking about these uh, men that Brother Ortiz was talking about, you know, that are in the cartel. I mean, that's right up my alley. I mean, some, some of the guys I deal with, some of these guys are rough. And I, I mean, I have been scared before. It, I can't imagine. But God can take the vilest, we sing about it in our hymns. God can take the vilest offender and he can save him and he can transform him and he can use him for his glory. Do you believe that? I mean, I could get you all pumped up and all kind of stuff about that. And then I could say, well, why is it then I have people that come up to me and say, Brother Holman Street, how can you go preach to those men? Well, yeah, what about that crime? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Yeah, what about that crime? Jesus loves them too. For the last I don't understand it. Neither do I. But I already talked to you about that yesterday morning. We don't have to understand. He never asked us to understand. He said, lean not to your own understanding. He said to trust him anyway. So you don't have to understand it. You just have to believe it. I don't even understand why God loves me, but I believe it. Amen. Praise the Lord. God's will is amazing. It, it's it's mind-blowing. There's no way I could try to summarize everything. Again, all I can do is take you to Scripture and to read these things to you. And we, we, there's, It's so multifaceted. God's will is so deep, yet so simple. And I know that that's a paradox, and, but God's will is that way. There's three things from this text that I want to give to you, but there's a reason for it. And I'll give it to you here in just a minute. I don't... Pretend that this is anything that is homiletically superior or there's any... I'm just giving you some basic points and then I'll tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing. God, first of all, wants us to present ourselves. God wants you to give yourself to Him. In fact, I remember um, when I was a young man, I remember asking someone about this, a pastor about this, and said, well, in fact, he asked me, have you ever done that? And I said, well, yeah, when I got saved. He goes, uh, wrong. I said, what are you talking about? He said, that verse is not talking to lost people getting saved. Well, I had never thought, I knew the verse. I would memorized it when I was a kid. I grew up in church. I said, what do you mean? He says, Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He says, even know what that means? He goes, I'm begging you. I'm imploring you. There's nothing more important to the believer than this right here. I am begging you. You've got to do this. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. He says, he's talking to believers. Have you ever said, God, here I am. All that I am, all that I'm not. I said, man, I don't know about that. It's a question. God wants us to present ourselves. I understand that God's perfect will is for us to present ourselves. Yes, he wants us to be saved. Absolutely. Salvation is absolutely God's will for us. You know, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells God is not willing that any should perish, but that all. God wants, I don't, Lord help me not to get derailed here. There is theology sweeping our country and our Baptist churches that tells us God picks and chooses. I'll get mad real quick. I don't want to get, listen, the Lord, His will is for all. All to get saved. He wants us all to be conformed to the image of Christ. Some choose not to. He doesn't, He is a perfect gentleman. And when I say perfect, I mean perfect. He doesn't force that. 
Yes, he does know who's going to and who's not. But God's hand is outstretched still, is what he says in Isaiah. To that vilest offender, the one that we don't understand, God's will is still for him to be saved. Absolutely, we, we know that. But not just salvation. We know it just isn't stopped with being saved. But it also means God wants us to sacrifice, to offer ourselves as a sacrifice. He wants us to say, God, here I am. It's right here. He also wants us to serve. And I could go on and on about all these things. I don't even want to just give you just the, uh, the breakdown of the message and the three points and have everything alliterated. There's a reason I'm talking about all this, and hopefully it'll make sense when I get done. I know it sounds like I'm rambling. I, I told the preacher earlier, I said, I've got some candy stick messages. And man, they just preach and all. And God says, no, I want you to do this. And I said, all right. Hopefully it'll make sense to you. See, Brother Lance, what does that have to do with hope? Everything. There is no hope outside of Christ. In fact, uh, you could take this word down and just put Jesus up here. Because hope's not a thing. Hope is him. He is our only hope. He is all the hope that we have. He is everything to us. And that's why the Lord, that's why Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's speaking to the church at Rome, says, I'm begging you. The only way that you'll have any hope in this world is to say, God, here I am. And to literally, maybe you've seen that at a missions conference before. Maybe you haven't. I don't know. Luckily, the plates aren't here. In other words, I do it. But you see someone actually stand in the offering plate. You ever seen that? I've seen that done in sermons before. Listen, that, and I don't mean to beat on something that you've heard before, but that's what God wants. That's what Paul's saying under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Here. I, that's what God wants you to do. You say, Brother Lance, well, that's what, you know, I mean, that's what Brother Farinella is supposed to do. And that's what Brother Ortiz is supposed to do. And that's what Pastor Pyle and his family are supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. But th that's not for me. We're not missionaries. We're not in full-time Christian service. But my friend, that's exactly the problem that Paul's addressing here. Because it's not individuals. It's, it's all of us. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He wants every single Christian, anyone that's ever trusted Christ as their Savior, to say, God, you gave yourself to me when I got saved. The least I can do, the only thing I can do is say, here I am. <laughs> Lord, you got the short end of the stick, but here I am. That's what, listen, I mean, I talked about that Sunday morning, the 2 Corinthians 5.21, when God says, listen, I love talking to an inmate, and I'll tell him, he says, you don't understand how bad I am, and you don't understand what I've done. I said, I don't need to. What you need to understand is, listen, God holds out his holy hand and said, give me the worst the best, give me all that you are, and I will give you my righteousness. What an amazing thing. And then God just says, all I want from you is you to say, God, I'm yours. Our biggest problem in life, I preach this to the men all the time, and I, I, like, to, I like to get them going because they can start naming problems, and they'll name stuff that you wouldn't want to talk about in church because they're honest. There's no pretentious behavior in prison. Very rarely, I'll say. And they'll start naming all kinds of things about their problems and what causes them problems and all these different things. And some of them are mad at the army. Some of them are mad at their, their victim, the person that accused them of whatever. And some of them are mad at life. And some of them are mad at God. Some of them are mad at all kinds of things. Some of them are mad at the preacher. And I tell them, no, 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 no. You know what your biggest problem is? I'm looking at them. Your biggest problem is you. You know how I know that? And I'm not trying to be mean. And I, I said that several times Sunday morning as well. I'm not trying to be accusatory. But, you know, God's word is offensive. Did you know that? 
It'll show you what you really are when you think you're something else. Come on. That's just the way it is. I mean, maybe you're more righteous than I am, but the Lord, the Lord just, it is kind of offensive. When you see what you really are, you're not as pretty as you think you are. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to offend anyone. That's just the reality of it. But God loves us, and he chooses, and he wants us. That blows my mind. I use the illustration of a, uh, I'm just an old rent. How many of y'all, I don't know, maybe I talked about this Sunday morning. Hopefully I didn't. How many of y'all ever picked up uh, like a crescent wrench and drove a nail with it? Come on, yeah, y'all get on us here. I know some of y'all are just lying. My dad would have beat my tail. If he saw me pick up a tool that wasn't designed for something and used it, he'd say, boy, I mean, he'd get all on me. I mean, come on now. And he would fuss at me. But you know what? You know what God did? I'm just an old wrench. God picked me up. Did you know you can drive a nail with a crescent wrench? It's not the most efficient. Certainly not the prettiest. It doesn't even do the best job, but it gets the job done. Did you know that all you have to be is that old crescent wrench and say, God, pick me up. I might not be a hammer. I might not be the best, but Lord, I'm, you know why? Go back in your mind. Why did you pick up that tool and use it? Because it was there. God wants you to be there. He wants you to be available. He wants you to say, Lord, here I am. You're like, why would God use someone like Brother Hohen Street to do that? Because I said, here I am. Doesn't mean I'm the best for the job. I never, I never claimed to be that. In fact, that's one thing that when I would read this text and that preacher going back to this story and I'd say, are you kidding me? I mean, what could God do with me? God wants you to present yourself. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to serve. I told you I'd give you the three things and I'd get on with what I was doing tonight. So God wants us to present ourselves, number one. Number two, he wants us to prove or, or to be perfected. He wants us to be sanctified. He wants us to be cleansed. He wants to perfect you because he's perfect. I've already made a point of that uh, tonight. So God wants us to be perfected. He wants us to submit ourselves. He wants us to be separate and separate ourselves unto him. That's how we become Holy, that's what the word means. And I'm sure that your pastor has taught you that before. The word holy means to be separated unto God's purpose. God wants you to be separate from the world and say, Lord, I'm going to be what you want me to be. He wants us to be separate. And he wants us, obviously, to be in Scripture. That's the only thing that's uh, perfect. That's the thing that sharpens us. It's what God's word, it, it, it should resound in our heart. That word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. I mean, that's... God wants us to breathe his word and to think his word, and it, he wants it to be there. That's how God perfects us. That's how our mind changes. Instead of thinking the way you used to think, God will bring a, a verse to mind. Come on. And then lastly in this text, God wants us to prove him. He wants us to prove, specifically in context, his will. Well, that's what we're talking about tonight. The reason I'm doing this is because the, the, this is, is I was studying a different message for tonight. This was probably a week or two ago. And I knew then that it wasn't what God wanted, but I was hoping I'd convince him. You ever try to get God to sign off on your will? Come on now. Maybe you don't want to admit that, but we all try to get God to sign off on our will. Hey, Lord, this is what I'm praying for. A lot of times that's what our prayers are. Lord, hey, would you just sign off on this? 
that happens in the military a lot. They'll bring these papers around. Hey, I need this to be signed off. And they want us to sign off on what they want. But I love it when commanders or first sergeants or whatever say, no. I ain't signing off on that. I can hear my mom say, don't say ain't. I can hear her. She was an English teacher. But we try to get God to do the same thing. Listen, God's not, I won't say he's not interested in our will because God knows us better than we know ourselves. God, want, he does care what you want. He cares what your desires are. By the way, when God says he'll give you the desires of your heart, that doesn't mean he's going to give you everything you want. This is what I believe. When you, when, especially when you get this text, biblically and theologically as the basis of your life, and you begin to say, God, it's what you want and I want your will, here's the beautiful thing, his will and his desires become your desires. You didn't want what you used to want, now your desires are his desires. And that's when you start to say, maybe I am a little spiritual. Because once in a while you might actually want what God wants. That happens once in a while for me and I'm like, whoa, wow, <laughs> there, maybe there is hope. I was born in Seattle, not too far from Sammamish, I suppose. Federal Way, technically. I was born downtown Seattle at the hospital there. My dad was a marine engineer. He moved to England when I was three years old. I don't remember. We went to Norfolk, England, Great Yarmouth. I don't remember a whole lot. I was three. <laughs> Little, little tiny town. I have pictures of the place. I, I remember bits and pieces because we lived there until I was seven years old. And so I do have some vague memories. But that's where we were, mom and dad. I remember they actually, there are Baptist churches in England. They're, they're rare, but they're, they are there. He, he, I remember the pastor, he had a clerical collar, but it wasn't like the collars you're thinking of. That's just they all, almost all of them. I didn't even know what an independent Baptist was then. But we went to a Baptist church, and mom and dad were both raised, I can't remember what their, I think dad was an Episcopalian, and mom was raised Methodist, I can't remember what, what it was, but they, they both had professions of faith, but when I was seven years old, we moved to Jacksonville, Florida. So if you hear any y'all or ain't and stuff like that, that's where that comes from. I grew up in Jacksonville. The, fun, the, the humorous story would be this, that when I was a little boy, starting first grade, I had, they start school really young in England, and so I didn't know how to read. And so the first graders, they were learning how to read, but I already knew how to read, and so they thought I was super smart. They were wrong. <laughs> but I remember coming, I don't remember, my mom likes telling the story that I was coming up the driveway, that's back when you could walk to school. And so I was walking home from school, mom said I was crying, coming up the driveway, and she said, honey, what's wrong? And she says, mommy... I am an American boy, aren't I? <laughs> and I was very offended because they said, you're not an American, you're British. I was a first grader. I didn't know any different. Of course, I left Jacksonville sounding like a hick. I sounded like a southern boy, but anyway. So I grew up in Jacksonville. Dad and mom joined a southern Baptist church. Praise the Lord, it was a King James Bible preaching, old school, soul winning, bus ministry having. There are such things. They're rare these days, but they are there still. And I was raised in that kind of church, and I remember when Daddy got saved. Mom and Dad both got saved um, within, oh, I can't remember, first few years that we were there. And things began to change. I watched my dad walk away from a six-digit income as a, 
executive port engineer in Jacksonville, Florida, to go to seminary. And so I went from, by that time, of course, I'm fast-forwarding through all this stuff, but I was, I remember Dad, um, we went from having a lot of money to nothing. Well, I was a teenager by that time. So I love seeing the teenagers up here because by, and I know that none of you, of course, are self-absorbed or care about how you look or anything, but <laughs> I did. I was very worried about what I wore and what I looked like and all that kind of stuff, you know, and th- that was just me. And so all of a sudden I went from having all the nice stuff to wearing, you know, Kate, there was no Walmart at the time. So can y'all believe that? That tells you how old I am <laughs> to wearing Kmart Kmart jeans, Kmart Velcro tennis shoes, the coolest. I, I, now, I don't know if this will resound with anybody, but I begin to resent God. Now, now, where's Brother Vihat? I love my youth pastor. I thought he was great. I really did. I, I like my youth pastor. Listen to this. I even believe that Jesus died on the cross. I had heard it all my life. I was raised in church. I believed that Jesus died on the cross. I even believed that he rose again. In fact, I even made a profile. I remember there was an evangelist in our church one year, and he preached. I mean, and we're, I was raised with the kind of preaching that would scare y'all. I'm, I'm talking about southern preaching, the kind where they walk pews. I remember this one guy stood on top of the pulpit. I mean, we're talking red in the face, fire-breathing preaching. Old school Southern Baptist. And I remember him standing up there, and he's like, if anybody wants to get saved and trust Jesus, if you want to go to heaven and you don't want to die and go to hell, then come up front. May 18th, 1980, I can't believe I remember that. I came forward, and I stood right there with a group of however many. He says, this is what you need to do. Pray this prayer. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. The prayer. You all know the prayer, right? I mean, you have to say the prayer to get saved, right? No. That was my profession of faith. I wanted to go to heaven. I believed in Jesus. I like my youth pastor. But at the same time, you know, listen, I, I guess it was before I was a teenager, but I had already begun to resent God and resent church, and I had to live this way. And my friends said, my friends listened to this. My friends did that. My friends did this. And roller skating rink was the big deal then, you know, and you could hold a girl's hand and skate. I wasn't allowed to do that. Why? I was mad at the world. I mean, I was mad at God. I was mad at religion. I was like, man, this Baptist stuff. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. You know what our biggest problem is? We still want to do what we want to do. That's why Paul's saying this to the church in Rome. I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet... Not I. We forget that part. We want to do what we want to do. And Paul's saying no. Of course, I didn't know any of that then. In case you, hadn't wondered, in case you were wondering, I'm preaching my testimony tonight. I was raised in church. I mean, I, I could quote more scripture. I could quote probably just as much scripture as some of the preachers we had at our church. Listen, y'all look at me. That kept me from getting saved for a long time. Well, I know the Bible. I go to church. I even like Jesus. I even think my youth pastor is awesome. 
It's funny, but it's not funny. And as I got older, it became pretty evident that I was not saved. I had made several professions of faith. I remember getting in trouble for all kind of stuff. And so let me, let me just say this, too. I, I preached, the last time I preached my testimony, I was at the church I grew up in. I, I guess I just probably ruined my chances of getting supported because I preached at the Southern Baptist Church. <laughs> it was a church I grew up in. And the pastor asked me to come to stand where my pastor used to preach, where my dad, when he first surrendered to preach, stood. It was such an honor. You know, I preached, I preached my testimony. And I told him, I said, I used to sit at that time. I could point to where I sat, and I said, I sat right there. And I was going to hell. I know a lot of, and I'm listening, you say, Brother Lance, oh, it's one of these messages where you're trying to make us doubt our salvation. Listen, if I can make you doubt your salvation, good. Because then you've got a real problem. The Bible says, let a man examine himself. You better make sure that you know that you're saved. Listen, because back then when I was questioning my salvation, it plagued me. I remember laying in bed praying that the Lord wouldn't come back because I was afraid I'd wake up and be there by myself. I wondered. Guess what now? And there are absolutely, listen, I'm not trying to say if you have questions and doubts that you're automatically not saved. There are still days where the devil will come up to me and say, what kind missionary? Ha. <laughs> What kind of preacher are you? I know what you, I know what you were thinking. You're a dirtbag. You know, this is, but here's the difference. Back then I'd be like, oh man, I'm going to hell. Now, this is what happens. The Holy Spirit hugs me from the inside. Said, you are a dirtbag. But you're my dirtbag. You say, Brother Lance, that's offensive. No, listen. Did, did the Lord God not scoop the dust of the earth and breathe into it? All we are is dirt and water. Scientifically, we're dirt and water. That's all we are is mud balls. So don't get offended. <laughs> but listen, that's what I'm talking about tonight. That's what happens when you know you're saved. But I struggled for a long time because I, I didn't know what God's will was. I didn't even know if I was saved or not. Fast forward, my dad took a church in North Idaho, and he, we, we did construction. I did electric, electric roofing, waterproofing, concrete framing, trusses. I mean, I'd, I've done everything because my dad started a company to work himself through seminary and all that stuff. And dad took a church in 1991 in Post Falls, Idaho. Mom and dad grew up in the Northwest. That's where I was born in, in, in Seattle. And so in January of 1991, dad took the church, Post Falls Baptist Church. <laughs> Here was, by that time, see, 1991, how old was I? I was almost 20. Well, I was 19 at the time because... My birthday's later in the summer, so this is what I was thinking. Ida where? I'm cool. I live in Florida. I don't want to go to Idaho. I said, Dad, I'm going to community college down here. I'll help you move to Idaho, but I ain't staying in potato country. <laughs> and that's north Idaho. They don't even grow potatoes up there, but I didn't know that. I didn't, I mean, I, I just, Idaho wasn't even on my radar, and so I did. I helped Mom and Dad move up there. And I went back to Florida. I, uh, I remember when I was telling this story at our church in, in Jacksonville, Florida, that uh, one of our singles director came. They, went to, they go to another church now. Um, and so he, he and his wife came. He, says, he said, Brother Lance, you talked about yourself. Like, he goes, man, you, you were a good kid. You weren't bad, but you made yourself sound so bad. You, you know, that's our problem. We think we're good. My point was there, and it's, 
by the world's standards, listen, and I'm sure the young people that are here t- tonight, and even the adults, that by the world's standards, they probably think you're great people. Most of us. I don't know, maybe there's a jerk out there somewhere, I don't know. <laughs> Brother Pablo raised his hand. <laughs> I love that guy, so I, anyway. Our opinion of ourselves is too high. Now, I'm not trying to cut your, you know, I understand we're supposed to build self-esteem. No, you know, we need to realize that we're nothing without Christ and that we need him. We will never get saved. Saved from what? I'm a good person. That's the world. You know you've heard that. That's the attitude out there. I'm self-made. I've got money. I've got a nice house. I've got an education. I'm a good person. I don't need God. And you say, well, Brother Lance, I would never say that. But some of us have that attitude. And it exudes from us sometimes. And if we, re- if we don't realize how lost we are and how base we are, then we don't need God. I remember thinking I was okay. Well, you know, I'm a good guy. I did a lot of stupid things. I got in some serious trouble down in Florida. I did some things that I'm not proud of. And I'm not one of these preachers that brags on sin. I'm not going to tell you all my, all my dirt. I already told you I was a dirt ball. That's all you need to know. I do remember, though, doing some things that I, I remember while I was living that way, thinking, you know, I said it, it. I had a conscience. Mom and dad taught me what was right and wrong. Someone said, well, maybe that was the Holy Spirit. Maybe you really were saved. Now, I know I wasn't saved. I know that I was taught well. But it still bothered me. I'm like, but I continued to do it. Finally, I got involved, and I'm not going to go into details here either, but I got it just in a situation I just needed to leave. And I remember mom and dad came down. My brother had been overseas. You'll see in the video. My video will make sense now to you, maybe a little bit more, but the brother, the, see, my brother I had a brother that went to prison, number two. I'm the oldest of seven children. Number two, Matthew went to prison. He's the one that went to Germany, and I think that all played a part. Just a mindset, a whole lot of things went into play. But Matthew flew back home to Jacksonville. Mom and dad came down to get him. And they, they say they didn't know, but I think they knew. And Lance, you need to come back to Idaho with us. No, I'm not going up to Idaho. You know, I'm, I'm a self-made guy. I'm, I'm an adult. 19. <laughs> I decided I need to move to Idaho. I know what I'll do. I'll, I'll turn over a new leaf. Y'all ever done that before? I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I, I remember a preacher preaching sometime after this. I realized how truth it was. You can't, you can't turn over a new leaf. Did you know that? If you pick up a, an old dead leaf off the ground out there and you turn it over, what do you have? A dead leaf. You can't turn over a new leaf. You know what you have to do to get a new leaf? To, to have a regenerated leaf? You have to grow a new one. Without Christ, we're dead. You can't turn over a new leaf. Listen, hey, I started all over. I said, I'm going to wipe this slate clean. I know what it is. I'm really a good guy. I really like my youth pastor, and I believe in Jesus, so I have to be okay. I'll just change my environment. I'll, I'll move to Idaho. I mean, get away from all this stuff in Florida, and maybe there'll be saving grace there. Things will change. My old friends are gone. All those things, guess what? Within a couple of weeks of being there, I was doing the same things. My, my younger brother, who's a pastor in North, he pastors the church where my dad used to pastor. Now, 
And uh, I remember him saying, you got to meet this girl. I was like, I don't need to meet some church girl. He says, you'll like her. She's sitting right there. <laughs> you know, it's amazing the kind of things. A lot of things will change. But let's move, look back at our text for a second. I want you to keep this in the context of this scripture. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Well, I couldn't even present my God, myself to God at this point because I wasn't holy. I wasn't even born again. I thought I was. I thought it was okay. Acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be a transformed by the renewing of your mind. My mind was still garbage. I remember when I met my future father-in-law. I didn't, he didn't know it at the time, but this is what he said to me. Because I, I joined my dad's church. Dad's rule was, you live in my house, you go to my church. That's just the way it is. I can go to church. I can do the church thing. Hey, y'all look me my God-given eyeball tonight. There's a lot of people here that know how to do the church thing. That doesn't mean you're born again. So I went to church. I even joined the church. You ever trusted Christ? Absolutely. My father-in-law, not then, but now, came up to me, shook my hand. He says, boy, I still say they should have made you get a haircut before you joined the church. Turned around to walk off, stopped and looked back and said, by the way, I saw you looking at my daughters. You'll never date either one of them. Walked off. That was my introduction to Tom Powell. <laughs> what I said about what people do, people do what they want to do. You may as well wave a red flag in front of a guy when you say that. I was like, oh, yeah? Check this out. <laughs> I had a Jesus experience and got a haircut. More than that, I had, listen, I had... Two suitcases. Some of y'all old school people know what I'm talking about. Cassette tape suitcases. <laughs> Full of garbage. You know what I did? I said, hey, Brother Powell, can we have an old-fashioned tape burning? Oh, yeah, I got spiritual. I burnt my old tapes. Y'all, some of y'all don't even know what a, what's a cassette tape. I don't even know. <laughs> We do a lot of things. Come on now, because we know what to do. We know what to say. We know how to act. We know where we're supposed to go. We know the right answers. Just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and all the religious people that Christ had a whole lot of words for. I'm not trying to compare you, but maybe there's someone in here that was just like me. I obviously married her. She thought I was a Christian. So did my in-laws. So did my parents. I had made multiple professions of faith. I, had, I could walk the walk. I knew how to quote scripture. Come on now. I could win Bible sword drills in youth group. But I was lost. I was about as saved as that floor right there. I wanted to get married. I remember to, to get married, I have to take care of my wife. So I joined the military. The first Gulf War had kicked off in early 91. So by that fall, I had already met Christy and and uh, I wanted to get married, and so I said, I'll join the military. I'll go fight for my country and, you know, do the patriotic thing. I mean, everybody thought I was great, but I was dirty. I was a sinner. I, need, I, was, I would have split hell wide open if I would have died that day. Of all the places in the world they sent us, they sent us to Mountain Home, Idaho. 
So my brand new bride and I, we climb in our, I remember she cried. If anybody's been, how many of y'all been to Mountain Home? She cried going down Airbase Highway, highway <laughs> saying, where are the mountains? <laughs> she was raised in North Idaho. She knows what mountains look like. She goes, where, what mountain home? There's no mountain. I mean, way in the distance. This is desert. She cried. I'm not joking. Didn't She cried. Listen, Christy found out really quickly. I, I, I need to fast forward this. She realized really quickly I wasn't saved. I had all the right answers. I knew all the right things to say. I believed in Jesus. I believed he died on the cross. I didn't believe he rose again. That doesn't mean you're born again. It became really obvious to her right away because she gave her testimony last night. Again, it's not that I, even the guys at work, I mean, the other, I mean, I was in the military, military cops. I mean, it's a rough crowd. I know there's a couple of other security policemen in here. They, they know. It's a rough crowd. And I was not church once in a while. I would do the, you know, when I didn't have to work my, in the military, you know, it's 12-hour shift plus guard mount, dismount, uh, driving there. So, I mean, our days were like, plus PT. We did PT in the Air Force back then. I don't know if they do now, but like 15-hour days. And so I would come home, and if I wasn't too tired, I'd go to church once in a while because I know that, you know, you're supposed to. And I did believe in God. Remember, I told you that. But she knew I wasn't saved. I remember she told me that we were having a guest preacher come in, and, and uh, she goes, this guy's old. And our, our pastor was Pastor Clinton Keaton. He was in his 70s when I met him. And so, you know, I mean, and he, was plant, he left there and planted more churches, and the old assistant pastor came and started pastoring and all that. But, uh, and he was, he was from, I think, West Virginia, and he, I was raised in the South. I mean, I'm talking fire-breathing preaching. That's not Pastor Keaton. I think the most exciting he ever got was, I'm telling you. It's about, the, uh, do you remember him doing <laughs> I'd fall asleep. I'd sit back in the back. That was my favorite place back here where these people are in the back row. And I would <laughs> fall asleep. Christy says, you got to come hear this evangelist. He's, he's from some, I won't say the name of the school and stuff, but he was a, a pretty uh, dynamic preacher and so this is what I was thinking. Yeah, I'll, I'll, come and, I'll come and watch the show. I, I'd seen that before. I was like, what's this guy going to do? Not what's he going to say. Not how's God going to talk to me. I got to see. I got to see. Watch this guy preach. So I did. And, and he was entertaining. I mean, he was one of the guys that holds the microphone right here. And he gets loud. And he, and, but after the first service, I was furious at my wife because I thought that she told him everything. I thought she told him how I didn't go to church and how I didn't talk right, didn't do right, and, and all the things. It, if you can think of stereotypically what a military guy would do, that's, that was me. Again, not that I was a bad guy. The world thought I was a nice guy. I was a good cop and a good soldier and all that stuff, but I was not a Christian. I didn't want to go back, and, but God was starting to deal with me. And I remember going back again, I probably surprised my wife, and I listened to it again, and it bothered me even more. I dropped her off at the house, which wasn't the first time, but I dropped her at the house. She asked me where I was going. I said, I'm going to go find that preacher. I don't know what she thought I was going to do, but uh, probably wasn't. She probably didn't think I was going to get saved. 
I went and found him. And I remember sitting in his hotel room. That's before they had those big new hotels. They had just the old, I can't remember the old hotel that's downtown. That's where he stayed. And I remember going to that hotel. And I found him. And I went in there. And I sat in that room. And this is for the first time in my life. And he's not much older than me. Just a few years older than me. And I remember he looked at me, square my God-given eyeball. And he said, he says, you know what your biggest problem is? I said, what's that? And he said, you. And immediately I just... I'm fixing to throw down with this guy. He says, anybody ever told you that? And I said, no. He said, that's your problem. I said, but I've said the prayer. I mean, why do I feel this way? Why why do I live this way? Why do I have any desire? Remember what I said about the desires? Y'all thought I was just rambling. What about those desires? Because I still want to do what I want to do. I I don't want to do anything like that. I mean, I only go because it's obligatory. I go because, you know, my wife wants me to. I go because, you know, people will think ill of me if I don't. But I don't want to. He says, he says the problem is, he says, you said the prayer, you're counting on a prayer to save you, but a prayer doesn't save you. Jesus does. And I said, well, how do I know? How do I know? And maybe, some, maybe there's someone, I don't believe God would have put this on my heart. My heart literally was beating in my throat tonight. I just believe some, there's someone. Then how do I know if I say the prayer again that it won't be just like the last however many times? And I'll say this prayer and I'll, yes, I mean it, and there's nothing. I mean, I want to be like Pastor Pyle. I want to be like Brother Vi. Why can't I be like these guys? And I named people I knew that I knew it was real and I watched God change your life and I watched God do things. Why can't that be here for me? I don't understand, God, why? How do I know that? And this is what he told me. He says, Brother Lance, he says, when you went to boot camp, he says, did you climb up that rope hand over hand? I said, yeah. He goes, how many times did you do it? I said, once, fast. Because I was full of me. He says, what would have happened if you got down to the bottom of that rope and they told you to get back up again? I said, and then I would have gone up it again. He says, and what if you were made to do it a third time? I said, well, probably slower, but I would have got up there. He goes, what about a fourth or a fifth? I said, well, eventually I couldn't do it. He says, that's where you need to be before you can get saved. I said, what are you talking about? He says, what would have happened if you came down that rope and your arms were jello? And you were like, and you could not hold on anymore. I said, I would have, fall, I would have fallen in the mud and looked like an idiot. He says, that's where God wants you to be spiritually. I said, God wants me to look like an idiot? He says, no, but God wants you to realize you can't do it. He says, the difference is when you let go and say, God, I can't do it. I'm not just saying a prayer. Lord, I need you. I've tried. I've tried religion. I've tried liking my youth pastor. I've tried having preachers as heroes. I've tried being faithful. I cannot do it. He says, have you ever read Hebrews? And I said, well, sure. He goes, don't you read in there where Jesus says, you can't do it, you cannot keep the law, you cannot please me, the old covenant is flawed, you cannot do it. That's why he gave us the new covenant in Christ. I said, well, yeah. He goes, that's it. So right there in that hotel room, I got on my knees. And I said, Lord, I'm done. And I let go. 
I'd love to tell you that I walked out of there with everything being wonderful. But just like my inmates, they're still in prison. They still have problems. That's why I hate, I hate the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel of today. People think they trust Jesus and everything's wonderful and miraculous. Don't get me wrong. God can do miracles and he can do amazing things and he can do things that are absolutely speechless. You can't even describe it. But so often we set people up and they get saved and they have the same life. They have the same problems, the same addictions, the same issues. The difference is we have him. There is hope. I left there. But here's the difference. I told you I wouldn't brag on sin. I'm not trying to brag on sin, but I, I'll give you a little bit of, a little insight. I still said some words that weren't pleasing to God once in a while. It was still there. My habits. Come on. But something was different now. Because when I said it, God would do this right here. Mm. I'd be, ooh. That never used to bother me. Now suddenly, the Lord's there. I, I'm not proud of this. This is one thing I'll talk about. I don't know. Maybe it's a problem in here. And I hate preachers that grind axes. But smoking was a huge problem for me. I remember going to Pastor Ravenscraft, our pastor at the time. And I said, preacher, I thought you said God was going to help me quit. He started laughing. <laughs> he said, why are you in my office? Seriously? I just told you. I thought you said God was going to help me. Listen, this is after I got saved. He said, Brother Lance, why are you in my office? I said, I just told you. You said God would help me, and I'm still, I mean, I'm a full-time quitter. I quit, start, quit, start, quit, start, quit. God's not helping me quit. He says, Brother Street, why are you in my office? I was starting to get mad. And he was, he was like chuckling. He says, I'm not going to make you mad anymore. He says, he says, obviously something's bothering you. I said, I just told you why. <laughs> Pastors. <laughs> and then I started feeling really stupid because he said this. He says, what part of you likes smoking? I said, well, I don't like to smoke. It's just I kind of have to do it. I, he said, so the flesh. And I said, well, yeah. He says, why are you in my office? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't get mad. Because another part of you is convicting you. Ping. He says, don't tell me. And then he got serious and he leaned across his desk. He says, don't tell me God's not helping you. Because you're in my office. And I just sat down. I said, man, God is real. He says, yeah. <laughs> he says he saved you and he's changing you. Remember the text? Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The wants that you once had should not be there anymore. And he gives you new desires. The desires of your heart are his desires, what he has for you, not what you want. I started realizing... Wow. So I went upstairs and smoked a cigarette. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to make light of it, but I, I'm try, what I'm trying, listen, what I'm trying to do is this, is 
The reality of sin and its grasp on Christians is real. There are too many Christians that come to church and pretend everything's wonderful. I know it's not wonderful. There's a lot of stuff out there. And there's probably sin in every single person's life that's in here. We just minimize it and it's not murder sitting in prison. So we think we're better than that. That's why we don't get plugged in because we think we're okay. I thought I was okay. God started helping me. And the more I realized the reality of this text, again, I I, I did. I started reading my Bible, my marriage, which was, Christy was, bless her heart, had to deal with me. She told you last night she had to go to church without me many, many years. I'd go once in a while. And it's not that I was a mean guy. You know, I never, I didn't beat her. And, you know, I wasn't a raging drunk or anything. But, you know, the world thought I was a good guy. But I was not there for her. God started working in my life and changing my life. And then I got a phone call in January of 1999. And it was my brother. And he said, it was said, would you accept a collect call from the Lataw County Jail? That's Moscow, Idaho, if you don't know. I was like, what friend did my brother put up to that? I said, sure. I hear my brother's voice on the phone. He's like, Lance. I'm like, dude, who was that? He's like, what do you mean? I said, who was that on the phone that said, uh, will I accept a collect call from the Lataw County Jail? My brother started to cry. He said, it's not a joke, buddy. I slid down. I won't go into all the details, but I slid down the wall that night, and I, I never used to cry ever. I find myself crying all the time now because I think God thinks it's funny, but God crushed me that night. I was so angry at God. God, how could you do this? It's God's fault, right? Come on now, let's, for the last, well, it's not God's fault, but how many of us have gone through something that we blame him? Come on. Might not admit it in church, but you know. And so I, I took, by that time I was out of the military and I had started a secular job working at Micron. And uh, I had big, that was the big tech boom, the end of the 90s. You know, I had all these stock options. I was going to be a millionaire, you know, and all, I had the, all these great aspirations. God's blessing. I remember my father-in-law, remember the Marine? <laughs> he actually likes me now, I think. He told me, he said, Lance, he says, that's not God blessing you. He says, that's you working Sundays. That's the devil keeping you out of church. I said, no, no, God, God's good to us. He takes care of us. He says, I know he does, but it's not, not through that job. God's got something more for you. But I was mad at God. I was out of church again because I was doing what I wanted to do. My brother went to prison, got sentenced to six years at the Idaho State Prison, 30 minutes from our house down here in just south of Boise. I'd go up to see him. I hate it. Now, you forget, I hated inmates. I was a cop. I mean, I, I was a cop in Mountain Home, and I was a police officer in, Mount, in, in the Air Force. I, I didn't like, like inmates. I'm, I'm really, I really am trying to hurry, but I want you to get this. All of a sudden, I'm looking across the table at my brother. I, I, listen, I shared a room with him for 18 years. He's a good guy. He's not like those, guys, those inmates. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Didn't I talk about that when I started? All of a sudden, I'm looking at my own brother. And when I started, you know what God started doing? He started poking me in the heart. I'm like, well, oh, no, 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 no. And I remember leaving the prison one day. My wife and I would go see him. 
And I remember uh, someone taking a little kid. I don't know if there, it was the aunt or the mom or I don't know. But this little kid, and I just, I'll never forget this. This little kid saying, Mama, please don't let, make me leave Daddy. And I remember God starting to crush my heart. For, for the first time in my life, I felt sympathy and compassion for an inmate. What? I mean, sir, I mean, sir, those guys deserve to burn in hell. Absolutely. Just like me. Yeah, but they're not like your brother, no. Just like your sin's not like mine. But God started working on me, and God started calling me into the ministry. I was still not in church. I, w- I did go to church when I could, but I was still working a lot on Sundays. I really believe this. Listen, I'm not trying to make anyone mad here, but I think some people have jobs that keep them out of church because... They prefer it that way. Because they know God might have something more for them. That was me. I'm just being honest. I'm not trying to fuss at anybody tonight. Listen, I loved God. I knew I was saved. I'm not saying I wasn't faithful. I mean, I love my wife. I wanted to do what God wanted me to do. At least that's what I said. My dad said, Lance, I want you to, want you to come up here and uh, come see us. And I can't remember why. We, we, we'd take vacations and drive up to North Idaho. That's where my parents and my wife's parents and most of my siblings lived. And so we would drive from Mountain Home all the way up. Uh, that's when 395 was still a two-lane road. <laughs> if we didn't go 95. Some of you all know that what I'm talking about. And so we'd go up there. Well, I, what I didn't realize is that was my dad's camp meeting week. And that is where I met the youth pastor that was down in Florida years and years and years ago when I was young. And he was there. And he's the one that sat on the concrete steps. I had See, here's the, here's the problem. I had told God, leave me alone. Stop dealing with me about ministry. My brother's a pastor. My dad's a pastor. I'm not called in the ministry. I don't need to be a preacher. Just let me do what I want. You know, did you know God will leave you alone? Say, wait a minute, Brother Lance. The Bible says God will never leave you nor forsake you. Let me give you an illustration. We, I'm, I'm a parent. I've got two girls. I remember when the girls were little. I can't remember which one of them. One of them would cry a lot. And Christy was a new mom. It's probably Allison. And she'd want to go in there. And I say, listen, no, she's changed. She's fed. She's everything. She's tired. Leave the door shut. She'll fall asleep. If she screams for 30 minutes, I understand. But if she, just let her cry for a little bit and she'll be okay. And guess what? After five minutes, maybe ten, out. So here's my question. Did we leave and forsake our daughter? She was still under our watch care. She was still under my provisions. She was still under my safety. She was still in my care. Come on. But she couldn't see me. And if you tell God to leave you alone and to stop convicting you and to stop bothering you, I'm sick of hearing about missions. I'm sick of a call to preach. I'm sick of you bothering me to do this at church. You know, pastor said he needs help here. Lord, I don't want to hear about it anymore. I'm just tired of it. If you tell God to leave you alone, he will. You know what he'll do? He'll say, okay. And he'll step out of the room just like you did when you were a parent and say, okay, I'm just waiting for him to holler, daddy. And I remember, it'd been, I can't remember how long it had been, but we had gone up to Idaho, and my dad said, you're just in time for a camp meeting. And I'm like, yay. <laughs> I, I was a Christian. There are Christians who are not interested in hearing from God sometimes. 
I went because I felt obligated. I never saw dad much and mom after we had moved to southern Idaho. So I went. And that's where I saw my youth pastor. And after however many months of not hearing from God, I can't even remember what was preached that night. But God stuck his holy fingers clean through my heart and said, are you done? And I was so grateful to hear from God that I went forward. And I got on my knees and I said, Lord, I just need you. He says, boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? I'm already saved. Lord, what do you want from me? And my youth pastor came down, got on his knees. I just preached for him. He still pastors down in, he was my first, and then my second youth pastor also pastors. But he's down in Central Florida, and I was just there. And I, he came to me on the, he said, let's go talk. And we went and talked on the concrete stairs. And this is where he read this verse to me. And he said, Lance, I beseech you, therefore, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. He said, Lance, have you ever said, God, here I am? Here I, am. I said, no. He says, why not? I said, because I think there's something he wants me to do I don't want to do. I said, besides, I'm not holy. He goes, that's where you're wrong. Again, y'all thought I was quoting scripture. I just randomly earlier, 2 Corinthians 5.21. We're as righteous and holy as God is. If you have Christ, he took all your junk. Come on now. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Our identity as Christ is God's holiness. God can use you because you are holy in Christ. Yeah. And be not conformed to this world. I said, well, that's the problem. He says, why? Do you look too much like the world? And I said, probably. He said, but Lance, why don't you give yourself to the Lord tonight? He said, obviously, God's already renewing your mind. He's, I said, yeah, but what about this part? It says down here that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He goes, wasn't well, that why you're here? You want to know what God has for you? Here's the reality. Some of you don't want to know. He said, Brother Lance, I do not want to go to Mexico as a missionary. I certainly don't want to go to Seattle, Sammamish. And I most certainly do not want to go to prison. You think I did? I had a, guy, I had a pastor ask me one time, he says, why don't you be an evangelist or a pastor? I mean, uh, I didn't choose where God put me. I don't know if any of this is making any sense to you all tonight. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I'll, I know we're, it's getting, it's almost nine. I know we, I need to let y'all go. Do you know how you can prove God's perfect will? By doing it. You say, Brother Lance, <laughs> I knew that some little tricky question or answer would come. There's always some little thing like that, you know, you're not helping me at all. Oh, no, no, it helps a lot. Do you know how I began to prove God's will in my life? I started doing it. I want you to be in my word every day. I want you to be on your knees every day. I want you to be best friends with your preacher and your youth pastor. I want you to be witnessing for me. I want you to be faithful in giving. I want you to fall in love with me every day because I fall in love with you every day. I want you to be willing to do whatever. If the pastor says, I need some help here, I'm willing. Because, oh, that's right, because 
Lord, here I am. I'm in the offering plate. Sacrifice, it's not about me. It's about you. Did you know that the Lord will direct your path? Come on now. By doing his will, if you're in God's will right now, guess where you're going to be in the morning? In his will. You're going to be exactly where God wants you to be. You say, yeah, but Brother Lance, it says that you could prove God's will. Did you hear that word prove? I mean, that's in there. Did you read prove? Do you know what it means to prove something? To prove it's true. So this is where it gets technical. Military has what they call proving grounds. Anybody military in here? I know we got some military guys. You know what they do at proving grounds? They don't experiment with stuff. You know what they do at proving grounds? They take what they have, even if it's new, and they use it. Hey, we have this new firearm. It's been tested. It's been tried. How do we know if it's effective? Well, let's take it to the proving grounds, and we will prove it. Does God not say, prove me, try me? Listen, you can prove God's will every day by doing it. And the more that I did God's will, the more that I served him, the more that it was clear. I remember after I finally surrendered my life and said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I am so sick of Lance. I remember laying in bed. My wife said, she says, do you know what God wants you to do? And I said, I just have no clue. She goes, I do. I said, well, please share, Miss Spiritual. (laughs) She says, no. God will show you. I remember going back to Mountain Home and telling Pastor Ravenscraft, listen, God, I'd surrender myself to the Lord. I'm going to do whatever God wants me to do. He goes, good. I said, I'm not really sure what God wants me to do yet. He goes, I do. (laughs) Well, enlighten me, sir. He goes, no, God will show you. God had to prove his will to me too. And one day it was just, I mean, it was just there. All of a sudden, it's like, come on, y'all, just give me two more minutes. It was like looking in the background, and God took this million candle power flashlight into the dark past of Lance Hohen Street and said, check this out. And all of a sudden, this light just went, military, police, your brother's in prison. You have compassion. Your brother's in prison and you ask the Rock of Ages prison ministry missionary to go visit your brother. Why not you? And right there I said, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I guess that means I'm called to preach. Yeah. Me? Remember, I'm just a crescent wrench. (laughs) Lord, I mean, I've heard you preach. I heard you preach. I mean, God, hey, listen, God spoke to me Sunday morning. I don't know if he spoke to you. I know what it's like to use a hammer. Lord, I'm just a crescent wrench. Yeah, but I'll use you if you let me. Did you know that God can use you? I don't know if there's someone here that God has been dealing with, and maybe, you, maybe you're thinking you're just like I did at times. Yeah, but Lord, I've got this problem. I've got that sin. I've got this issue and that issue. And Lord, I told you to leave. But maybe he's bothering you tonight. Maybe there's someone who thinks they're saved, and you know what to do, and you know all the right answers, but you're questioning. Listen, make sure. Maybe there's someone that's called to be a missionary. Maybe a young person say, I'm just asking the Lord, but how could he use me? Listen, I'm just going to tell you something. If God can use this guy, he can use anything. 
He just wants us to. And by the way, even if I'm not talking about surrendering yourself to the mission field or the ministry or whatever else, didn't Paul say, I beseech you, therefore, brethren? That may, by the way, that's sister in two. <laughs> I don't know if that's a word or not. Brothers and sisters, God wants you to put yourself in the offering plate and say, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do. That's what God wants from you. And as a grandpa, I finally understand that. You know what I want? I just want to know that my kids and my grandkids want me and they want to be with me. That's all God wants. And he wants you to say, Lord, it's all about you. I want to be with you. I will do whatever you want me to do. Maybe there's someone tonight. I guarantee you, Brother Ortiz could use some help. I know that you could use some help in some mammoths. I've been out there. I could use some help. I'm 50. What's going to happen when I'm 60, when I'm 70, and I can't go in the prison every day anymore? There are military soldiers, military soldiers and sailors and Marines and airmen, young boys, kids that get in trouble, that need Jesus, that have never heard Christ in this country. I don't know what God's will is for you, but I know God's will is wanting you to say, here I am. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed. I, I, I don't know how God could use this tonight, but... Maybe he spoke to you. As the pianist begins to play when she gets over there, I'm going to turn it to pastor in just a minute. I don't want to see anybody. I can't make you pray. I don't want to see your eyeballs for a second. I know I keep telling you to look at me. I don't want you to look at me right now. I want you to look at the Lord. No one's looking around. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But is there someone that would say, Brother Lance, I've never done that. I've never said, God, I will do whatever you want me to do. God, here I am. Would you raise your hand and say, pray for me? Is there anyone like that? I've never said that. Hands all over the room. I see that. Lots of hands. Listen, God said through his word, I want every Christian to do that. Why don't tonight you say, Lord, I want to give you myself. If you know that Christ has given himself to you and you're born again, then why don't you give yourself to the Lord tonight? Is there someone in here and no one's looking around? But is there someone that would say, Brother Lance, I don't even know. After hearing your testimony especially, I don't even know if I'm truly saved. I do have questions and doubts, and I'm just not sure. And I lay in bed at night wondering sometimes. I will not embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Is there someone just lift your hand so I can see it? I just want to pray for you. I appreciate your honesty. I see several hands. Listen, if you're looking, if you raised your hand right there, no one else, would you look at me or look up at your pastor? If you raised your hand right there, would you just look up? I promise I won't embarrass you. I promise. Why not tonight? I'll have someone meet you in the back. A pastor, I'm sure, will have someone meet you in the back and take you. If you want to make get that nailed down tonight, would you just right now, no one's looking. Would you slip out and just go to the back? Pastor, I'll have someone go back there. Praise the Lord. Is there anyone else? Listen, don't leave here not knowing. Anyone else? I'm not sure. I just... I'm not 100% sure. Anyone else? I promise, again, I'm not going to embarrass you. I struggled with it for years. I was the good church kid. Anyone else? I don't know what God is going to do tonight. I don't know, but I, I believe he is going to do something. Maybe there's someone that's called to the mission field. The altars are open. Would you just come? If you've never given yourself to the Lord, why don't you come do that tonight? Make an altar out of your chair. Come up to the stairs. Whatever you need to do. Right now, don't, don't wait. Say, Lord, I don't even know how you could use me, but I will do whatever you want me to do. I want to give you myself as a living sacrifice. Anyone at all? 
People are moving. If you're not, I just, you know, maybe you're, maybe you're good. Maybe you know exactly where you are with the Lord, but maybe, the, why not? Why aren't you moving? I'm not going to manipulate. I'm just asking the question. Would you come do what God wants you to do? If God's talking to you and you don't want to respond, why? Would you do what God wants? Pastor, you come. just remain in your seat. Look this way. Just keep playing for a second, Ms. Becca. I, I think I've referenced this in preaching at some point. There was a, a season in my life where, I mean, I was just, I was wrestling hard with a lot of stuff, a lot of, a lot of doubts about my salvation. But the reason was I, I knew there was a sin in my life that I had lied about and I I tried, it's like pulling up that rope. I had tried to deal with it in my own strength, and I just wasn't getting anywhere with it. And I knew I wasn't going to until I went and looked my dad and mom in the face and said, I've lied to you all these years, and I'm sorry. I know I'm wrong. And it's amazing what God started doing from that point on, because I just, I let go and humbled myself. And I just want to remind you of this. You don't have to be afraid of what God wants for your life. You know what you've never heard from up here? You know, whether, whether it's a pastor or a missionary or, or someone just giving a testimony, you've never heard someone say, I regret surrendering to God's work in my life. You have never heard that. No, I understand people get bitter. I understand people can walk away. But when people humble themselves and let God have control, they don't regret it. I don't know what the thing is tonight. And, and Brother Lance wasn't trying to impose something on you. I, I don't, everyone's not called into full-time ministry. But maybe somebody in here is being called to, get up, to give up a habit. 
Maybe somebody is being called. God's dealing with you about your salvation. God's dealing with one of you young people about being obedient to your parents. God's dealing with you about your attitude with something. Maybe it is about ministry. I love this statement. Have you ever said, God, here I am. I'll get in that offering plate. If you haven't, you need to. That's the way we're supposed to live. It's a good way to live. Father, I don't, I I agree with Brother Lance. I don't want to manipulate anything. I do believe that you spoke to us tonight. And Father, thinking about how often how Paul at many times he would just he would just preach his testimony and how you worked in his life. And God, I'm I'm thankful for the transparency that was shared with us tonight. And God, I just pray that each one of your children would would recognize how much you love them and how that the best thing they can do not necessarily the easiest, not even necessarily always what we want, but the best thing we can do is to get in, to get our life in that offering plate and say, God, just what do you want? I don't want to just live for me and my ambition. I want to live for you. And sometimes that means working a, a long career in a business field. Sometimes that that means going into a ministry. Sometimes it, it's, it always starts with being saved. But God, whatever it is, I pray that your children would just let go and lay down to you. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you for tonight. For those that you're dealing with, please help them and encourage them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I believe we heard from God. I'm thankful for that. I praise the Lord. I thank you. I do appreciate your attention and your attentiveness to the Word of God. Let's go ahead and stand for our ministry families. If you'd please make your way out to the foyer. Uh, They will be happy to chat with you as long as you want. (laughs) All right. Looking forward to tomorrow night. Uh, tomorrow night, Brother Farinella will be presenting, is that right? And Brother Ortiz will be preaching. Amen. I think you will. Yeah, he's good. In English, hallelujah. Let's have a dismissus. <laughs> and you are dismissed. All right, I want to sing verse one of that hymn that we're playing. Hymn number 394, I Need Thee Every Hour. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord, no tender voice like thine can peace great night tonight and we look forward to tomorrow night if the teens could stay here for a quick practice and you are dismissed